You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman. As always, I'm this wonderful podcast. And joining me on the other line for another combination show with the two of us from Forbes.com, the West Side at Indianapolis News, a man still in his khaki pants, Mr. Tony East. How are you doing, Tony? Adam has been roasting me since we started our Zoom because I haven't changed clothes since 11 p.m. Eastern and Tony's still in his (laughs) 7 a.m. work outfit. I can't help it, man. You know, just a comfy guy. Yeah, yes, I am. uh, I'm thrilled to be in my khaki pants doing our last our last podcast for now, looking back at the 2020-21 NBA season and how it relates to the Pacers. Because next week, we can only look forward. We can only look ahead. This is our last time looking back. And I'm excited for the last time to look back at last season and the Pacers. Yeah, so as the title of this podcast says, we are going to decide or determine or figure out if the Pacers can learn anything from the NBA Finals matchup, the Bucks and Suns, the two teams, how they got to where they were, how they built up to whatnot, and then some of the kind of comparisons that the Pacers have to them and they don't have. Um, we're going to start by talking about how each team got to that point of making the finals this year, and then we'll kind of finish this off with the general thoughts about uh, what the Pacers can do to kind of mirror either team's path. Tony, you want to start with the Suns or the Bucks? I'll let you pick. I want to bury the lead, Adam. You know how both of these teams made the finals, right? Because they won 14 to 12 playoff games? Uh, no, they, they both employed Torrey Craig last season. Ah, that's a... It's a real, <laughs> real valuable asset, Tory Craig, at five million dollars per year. <laughs> that is how both of these teams made the finals. Uh, the Tory Craig started on the Bucks and then got traded for cash to the Suns. So, uh, yeah, that was his season last year, and they both made the finals. So good for Tory Craig; he gets a ring either way. Now he's with the Pacers. Let's start with the team he started the season on the Milwaukee Bucks. All right. So I think the Bucks. The biggest thing that was said about them this season was they were they had basically made the finals and won the championship actually without having a top 10 pick on their roster, right? Actually, nothing higher than 15, right? Giannis, the 15th pick. I think that's the highest pick player on their, or that they picked that was on their roster currently. So they're clearly a team that's been built slowly over time, but obviously you got to hit the superstar pick at 15 with Giannis. They were built slowly. I definitely acknowledge that when I was thinking about, okay, what do I want to talk about with how the Bucks built their team and, and how it can be emulated because their market size is a little more similar to the Pacers, That's right? Spot on, right? I mean, some yeah, yeah I'd say Milwaukee's a little bigger, I would say. You know, they have every sport in, in Wisconsin, I believe, right? And they don't have all of them here, but irrelevant. Um, but it's similar. It's more similar. And you look through the guys that, you know, were on their team that were important or in their playoff rotation, right? Giannis, they drafted. So that there's, there's the outlier. But Pat Connaughton, they traded for him. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, they drafted Bryn Forbes. They signed Drew Holiday. They traded for Brooke Lopez. They signed Chris Middleton. They traded for Bobby Portis. They signed Jeff Teague. They signed PJ Tucker. They traded for, you get the gist, right? Most of their playoff rotation, they either identified as a talent from another team that they thought they could get a little more out of in the case of, you know, Connaughton and Middleton. I mean, that the big one there is Middleton, uh, and Portis, or they got good some because of Giannis and some because of his other moves. And they said, okay, what are our weaknesses? And then they got Tucker and then they got Drew, right? So they did a really good job of finding the external talent that they needed uh, to get good in a market size they had. And they were willing to part with, you know, some, some significant stuff to do it along the way. 
Yeah, uh, just so we're clear, Milwaukee actually is a large, is a smaller metro area than Indianapolis. Wow, one and a half million, according to this Wikipedia. So you know, there's always a chance for it to be error. Uh-huh. Uh, Two point one million for Indianapolis metro. There we go on the twenty twenty census. So a little bit, a little bit smaller, but I get what you mean. I think they pull from Chicago area a little bit to help get them some maybe some more income and be able to have four four teams like like you said. Uh, I I agree with you what what you said about kind of how they basically build a core and then added to it on the fringes to get to the point where they were NBA champions. Um, but the big thing is what I they did is they took a huge risk on a draft pick, right? That's kind of where this all starts. And it's not even a huge risk because he wasn't, he was 15th overall, but I mean, nobody, nobody knew that what Giannis was going to be or what he could be. And they, they just swung for the fences in a way, right? They took the guy with the highest potential, but also the probably the lowest floor at the time. And then they, figure out what they had pretty quickly, got out the bad coach, or they got out kid by what, 2015, got Bugles there in 2016, right? Or was a missing coach between coach Bud and, and kid. No, you, you, you're correct. It was kid straight to Bud. Right. And then, and that allowed Giannis to kind of, I think, accelerate even faster, right? I think he was, there were signs of it under coach, uh, under kid, but kid was, is kind of not a great coach and coach Bud who has certainly his, his flaws when it comes to like playoff X's and O's and, always looking like he's going to like crap his pants during a, <laughs> during a big playoff moment. But like, he's really good at developing players come from the great Papa street, did a really good job in Atlanta doing that before. So like that was, it just kind of like a combination of right moves there. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think with Giannis, you know, you can, you can credit them because it worked obviously like they, they did it. They, they picked the high upside low floor guy and they got the upside pick. And that's sort of where not luck, right. They, they identify the talent, but like, that doesn't always work, right? That's not just like, oh my gosh, always pick the upside guy. Like even go two drafts later, three drafts later, he was 2014. Yes. A couple drafts later, however many. One years draft later. later, one draft, literally one draft later, they Jabari, who you're going for. Right? Yeah, that, that's not what I'm talking about. But oh. yes, that was another kind of example of a guy in that situation. I was going to go to the 2016 draft, which was no two problem. years later, uh, where Marquise Chris, high upside, low floor guy, went eighth. Uh, the Suns ended up with him. That did not work out for them. Thon Maker. A high upside, low floor guy went 10th, ironically, to the Bucks in this case. That one did not pan out. Papa Giannis went 13th to the Sacramento Kings. Uh, that one might not have been high ceiling either. That was just a disaster for them. But, you know, the, the idea was there. Yabu Sele, 16th. Like, as soon as Giannis got to his rise, that became a more popular thing. But the, the, the Bucks identified a guy more so than than that was his makeup is as a low ceiling or a low floor high ceiling guy but that strategy can be good right Giannis is an example of it but it's also extremely risky and that's where you know emulating the bucks is is hard to just say you do this because they you know they again they identified the talent they scouted him they believed in their scouting like that's great their process there deserves only credit but you also have to say that it, it's hard to emulate or almost impossible even because it's very risky. Yeah. And then I think the next piece is we're missing is their, is their number two, how they got to that. How they got the number two talent. This former, one is emulatable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's also, but it's also the same thing, right? Former Mad Ants uh, star, I guess we call mine would start with Mad Ants. But sort of. Yeah. Played for the Mad Ants, Chris Middleton. I mean, they, uh, he was a throw in, I assume in that Brandon Knight trade. I don't think he was like, a make or break piece, but he just sort of developed into a, a really nice player over time. Pretty like by like what, when he hit that game winning shot in the 2013 or 14, they did the whole, like that really amazing out of bounds play. That's when he kind of first came onto the scene. I think for me, at least um, 
And like that, that was huge too. I mean, you, it's, I mean, we've seen the league. It's rare. I mean, it's becoming more common like Jokic, but like, it's pretty rare. A second round pick uh, becomes your second best player in a top, what, in the top 20 player, top 25. Right. I mean, when, when you do hit that kind of pick, it usually is a good sign. Draymond's a good example of that. Right. Draymond is the thing that unlocked the worst that probably that next level from where they were. Uh, so like that, that hitting that second round pick is pretty big uh, and it's maybe replicable, but it's really hard to identify what second round pick is going to, you know, be Chris Milton and which one will just flame out in a year. Yeah, they traded Brandon Jennings when he was 23. So a young guy traded. And this this Middleton deal uh, was a while ago, right? This was 13, 2013. Yeah, the, the young ages of Giannis in the NBA. Actually, it was it was just Pretty after honest. they drafted it wasn't any, Yeah, nothing. They drafted him, but he hadn't played a game yet, right? So for Brandon Jennings, they got Brandon or yeah, I was right. Brandon Knight, who's 21 at the time and is out of the league now. Middleton, who was a second rounder for the Pistons and only played 27 games in his rookie year. Um, you know, he he was good again for the Mad Ants that year when the Mad Ants were the affiliate for the Pistons as well. And they also got a, a throw in uh, in this trade. Vyacheslav Kratsov. I hope I got that right. But anyway, Middleton, they took a swing on and they, and they nailed it. Right. And that is, again, kind of like the honest play, a risky thing. That worked out, but a little more replicatable that he was, a, you know, he was a moderately high second rounder. I think he was 38th, 39th. So that's a little, you know, it's like, oh, this is a top 40 pick. Like, well, yeah, we'll take that in a trade, right? So this, the second guy they had, they, they, they was a little more established when they got him. But again, another kind of risky play that paid off for them. Yeah. And once they got those guys, it was all kind of easier, right? Like they, they got Bledsoe in a smart trade once the, the he was unhappy and they in flipped Phoenix. Him for- and they, for uh true so yeah yeah well i was gonna say the snowball at point guard is part of when i when i'm writing notes here about the bucks is and this uh will apply to the suns too i'm kind of bearing the lead but we'll talk about that but they kind of prioritize ball handling to a point where like they wanted to get better at point guard i wonder who they i need to look up who they had pre-bled so um <laughs> but they they realized oh we need a we need a better guy handling the ball all the time and drew's amazing at defense too but getting drew was huge part of you know, they won a championship one year after getting him, right? Like getting better and having more reliable guys with the ball in their hand all the time was also like the final piece to them. And they kept getting better at point guard and getting better in turn. You know, they finally upgraded to Bledsoe. They look a lot better. They, you know, are are an overtime away from being up 3-0 in the conference finals in 2019. And, you know, they, they obviously won the championship last year. The, the continued growth at point guard was a big part of this too. Did they? And that was an, an, another risky but successful factor for them. Did they flip the Brogdon pick also in the Drew Holiday trade? I think they did. Uh, right? The the one from the Pacers? Yeah, didn't maybe they? I can't remember. So, I mean, I guess you could kind of. I just think like they sort of made they made a nice pick in Brogdon, got an asset. Probably should have kept him, but they got an asset for him when they yeah. and used. I think they used that asset along with with um, with Bledsoe to get ultimately to Drew Holiday, which is kind of the last piece of the puzzle. It also is replicable once you're that close. It is. It is. Once you're close, you're willing to be. A little more risky. And, okay, they, they went with Giannis at the point, but they're starting point guard pre-Eric Bledsoe. Do you remember? Do you have any memory? I know who it is. I mean, I just saw they traded for Brandon Knight. So it must The answer Knight. is uh, Matthew Delvadova was their starting point guard. Oh, for in, that uh, year. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they finished sixth in the East in 2016-17 there. So they, they kept prioritizing, you know, okay, we got the two stars. Wow, we know Middleton's good. We know Giannis is good. Let's upgrade our ball handling. So let's get this to the Pacers. We've kind of, I think, kind of diddled around the points with the Bucks, they got a little lucky, but they did a good job identifying the risky talent and they got away with it. And then once they did that, they 
prioritized ball handling, and then they figured out what Steph fit around the two guys that they nailed. So if you're the Pacers, you might have nailed the guy with Sabonis, right? You identified a talent in your trade when you sent away a star in PG. You get an all-star. He's probably not, not even probably. He's not at the level of Middleton or Giannis, obviously, uh, but he is very good, right? If you can get another one of those guys, then you can start this process of getting the elite ball handlers to fit around those guys, but they need it to find that somehow if, if they want to do something similar to what the Bucks did in this strategy. Yeah, and in the Bucks, just as we wrap this up, they also had the benefit of a superstar who was signed a five-year deal, basically making the holiday trade worth it, right? Where the yes. Pacers branded this issue, I think a couple of years ago with Paul George, where it was like, they weren't sure whether to go all in on him because they weren't sure he was going to stay. They were afraid they would dump five, let's say five first round picks or like three first round picks. And then he'd leave the next year and they'd be back in the same spot. So there were just a lot of things that went their way. It, they're in a unique spot with Giannis who, because he, I think honestly, is an American. He doesn't just have this like desire to be in certain American cities because he goes home every, every offseason degree. So like, what does he care? He lives in LA or Milwaukee or New York or wherever he's going to be marketable no matter what. So it, it's, it's a unique situation for him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Want to move on to the Suns? Yeah, let's do this. Let's take one quick break, and then we'll talk about the Suns' path and how it can compare to the Pacers. But first, today's Locked On Pacers podcast is brought to you by our wonderful friends over at Built Bar. Did you know Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There is something for everyone. You talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their favorite ones. My favorite one of the nine they have going right now is obviously the double chocolate, the German chocolate. I love kind of a sweet flavor. Right now you get uh, nine. Their nine flavors they're offering in a mixed box, two of each. That's 18 bars. They're great. They're everything coconut to cherry barcia, double chocolate I mentioned, orange cookies and cream, and a bunch more. I love these protein bars. It's kind of a mid-afternoon snack. They're healthy. They're high in protein. They're not too many calories. Most of them are 130 to 180 calories, 17 to 18 grams of protein, and they taste great. I love Built Bar. If you try it, you will too. And right now, if you go to built.com, you promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. And we are also brought to you by Sweatblock. There are a few things in life that just aren't fun to talk about. And one of them is excessive sweating. You know, when you're sweating through your shirt for no reason, it's kind of embarrassing. It isn't life or death, and there are much worse problems in the world. But let's be honest, in the moment, it feels like a big deal. Nobody likes to pit out during an important speech, interview, or first date, God forbid. You'd rather not worry about it. And that's why you should use Sweatblock antiperspirant wipes. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. Simply apply it at night before bed. Bedtime, go to bed, next morning, wake up, wash, and go by your day without worrying about sweat, guaranteed. That's a sweat block guarantee. Use it once, twice a week, and it keeps you dry the whole time. No more pitting out or picking your shirts based on which one will hide the sweat better. Try sweat block today. Get 20% off at sweatblock.com. Come with locked on. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Or you'll find sweat block on Amazon or at CBS. So last segment, we talked about how the Bucks often became NBA champions because without basically a top 15 pick, right? Their highest pick was Giannis, I think, on that team at 15. They basically always picked 10 or lower for most of most of that kind of run, except for like the very first year of Giannis. Well, the Suns are kind of the opposite. Uh, their best player, uh, or two of their three best players are what? You had the 13th pick was uh, Devin Booker, and obviously DeAndre Aiden went number one, plus a host of number four picks, number four picks that all were flipped in assets over time to get to the, the kind of place they are today. 
Yeah, they, these two teams built a little. There, some of the stuff was similar, and a lot of it was different. And it's yeah, the kind number of the one base, pick with Andre Aiden is a huge thing. The bases were built differently, and that's where I think this is interesting. And this strategy, to me, is a little more replicable uh, for other teams. If you look at the Suns, so yes, I just talked about how the Bucks built kind of externally, right? They signed or traded for a bunch of guys in a playoff rotation. We went through the list. The Suns did the opposite, not the opposite entirely, but a lot of the opposite, right? Let's look at their player rotation. Devin Booker, they drafted 13th. DeAndre Ayton, they drafted number one. Mikael Bridges, they technically traded for him on draft night, whatever. They drafted him at number 10. Cam Johnson, they drafted, right? They drafted a lot of their... Jalen Smith played for them a few games in the playoffs. They drafted him, right? They drafted a lot of their team, and that is, you know, good scouting, but a replicatable thing, and it took them a long time. A long time in the lottery to finally hit this stuff, right? They had, um, I mentioned Chris last segment, they had the Dragon Bender draft, right? They've had some flubs Josh along Jackson. the way, but the, you know, building through the draft is something that every team claims that they want to do. And the Suns did it. They, they maybe weren't patient. You know, they definitely made some questionable moves along the way uh, um, amongst their older uh ownership i even forgot josh josh jackson when running through this and tj warren was a lottery pick for them uh, but and alex len was a fifth pick for them uh this is also you know they, they have not done well with some picks but they had a lot of panned out picks in their playoff rotation and building up that base slowly over time was a big reason they were able to make the big moves that they did last offseason to build their title team yeah basically they had five top five picks over about an eight-year span and they hit on basically one of them, but that's that's all it kind of takes. And then they also hit on one of their later picks. One of their right, they picked 13. They picked 13 a bunch, 14. They have a you know 16 pick here, but mainly the one they hit on was Booker at 13. Um, and that right there is the base, basically. And then then they did, I think, really in the in the like recent future, picked really well in the in the 10 to 15, right? I mean, Cam Johnson, you named it, Mikel Bridges, you named it. I mean, that's those are big. Uh, huge and then the, the other big thing is they they brought in the right coach right they went out and got a coach who was really good they then were that team they were in the perfect spot where they went undefeated in the bubble but didn't make the playoffs they didn't have to get smoked by the lakers in the first round but could still say oh look how much look how good he were it's kind of the classic uh you win your last like five or six games but don't make the playoffs like well look at that we were really good at the end of the year kind of thing but even kind of better because the bubble had some better teams because you had the kind of the, the bad teams looped out. Um, so that kind of gave them some promise for the next year. And then they, they made a, a really, really savvy trade, frankly. Yeah, they barely even got invited to the bubble, right? Weren't they the last, like the yeah, worst I think they were in that, like, record team that got it? I think they gave them, they put them in the bubble because they theoretically had a shot to make the playoffs. That's like, right. That's right. If if all eight games went their way, and they almost did, right? They ended up tying for the nine, but ended up they, losing tie. Yeah, right they there. were like one game. They would have made it if like either the Spurs or Grizzly lost or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they had that that magical run. Yeah, so the the draft was a little more serious for them than the Bucks in terms of the number of positive players in their rotation that they got that way. And to start, I, you know, we took too long to get to the Pacers last time. We'll make this one a little more blended. That is possible for any franchise, right? Any team can do that it might take as long as it did for the Suns, right? Who, you know, I just went through their draft history, but they picked Alex Lund number five in 2013, right? Like they picked Bender four in 2016. They've been bad or like picking high for a while. And that is not fun for your franchise. And the Suns have a, a, a you know, not a great history, but a decently rich history of good 80s basketball, good 
70s, 60s basketball, even Tom Chambers. You can go back as far as you want there. So it's a little more tenable, but not great. Whereas, you know, the Pacers have never been a team willing to be or trying to be picking that high. So, right, if the Pacers were to pivot in strategy, that is one way to do it is to is try those top picks. But that's not always a plan that works. The, the Kings have been this bad for forever for a reason. The magic of him picking high for a long time for a reason, too. And maybe those teams are on the cusp of their Suns-esque growth. But that is a more replicatable team building way for other teams is what the Suns ended up with as a team. Yeah, I I would say the Suns of last year or two years ago, sorry, before the Chris Paul trade, we haven't said his name yet, but that was the big move, obviously, um, is closer to the Pacers of today, right? I think they're, the teams yes, yes. are pretty close. The the big thing the Suns did in, the, in that the Pacers could have been part of this, they could have tried to get Chris Paul last year, theoretically, is they, they were able to get a... a Guy, when he plays as a top, maybe even 10 player, when he can kind of get like really zoned in for basically not very much, right? They, the Suns, what did the Suns give up in that trade? A first round pick, probably, right? I'm trying to remember that it wasn't, it wasn't a ton for Chris Paul. Hi, um, Jerome. Uh, Jalen LeCue were like the big asset. I can't remember what the money was, though. It, it, I thought they just Ricky Rubio was, was part of the money. Yeah, but it was all assets they didn't need, right? It was all, they got rid of their point guard or stuff that that would have been unneeded because they had Chris Paul. Yeah, they got rid of their point guard basically. Um, all set up really by the TJ Warren move, to be honest, frankly, kind of funny in hindsight. But they got rid of the point guard to bring in a better point guard basically. That was like the big cash trick. Okay, it was Ubre, Rubio, Jerome, and LeCue plus one first, it looks like. So was Ubre starting for them at the time? Ubre was a starter for the Suns back then, yes. Interesting. Okay. But then they but then they had Britta's hit, which helped kind of replace him right away. Right. Yes. Yes. So that, that was the replacement yep. there. Which talk about the Pacers. I mean, there is some like something to that, right? Like, could you if you theoretically had to give up like Karis Levert right now in something, and let's say you could get like like to get that kind of salary is really hard, right? The Chris Paul thing, what, forty million dollars a year or something insane like that? Yes. Right. You wouldn't have to pay the tax. You'd be willing to pay the tax for the Pacers, but like could you do like Karis Avert, Jeremy Lamb, and some stuff is like 30, which I think would be enough to match it maybe, uh, or close to maybe like a $35 million player. And then you would maybe you'd hit with your pick to replace Levert at the two guard spot. And whatever you got is your, is your three or whatever. I don't know. That's the possibility at least. Yeah. We've seen those trades be important for title teams, right? Maybe Duarte is the piece that can help them do something like that in the future. I'm not suggesting they trade him. I'm just saying when you look at the, the history of how these teams acquired their good players, it's something and something else the Suns did well is their fringe signings or their cheap signings ended up growing into something kind of important for them at times. Uh, like Frank Kaminsky turned into a little bit more than a bit player for them. Campaign obviously was good. But the Pacers have done that, right? TJ McConnell, good example of that. Yes. I mean, McConnell is a very similar path to campaign, right? Like almost identical, right? And then Payne just re-signed again for them because he was so important, right? They got a lot out of those fringe signings in the last couple of years. Basically, since they switched over to former Pacer James Jones running the front office, they've been a lot better at, at those fringy moves helping their team, which has been a big part of, you know, finalizing that rotation that got them to the finals. But the biggest thing, and we can't dance around it for forever, is the, is the Chris Paul trade. And you brought it up, right? Like, you can do all the draft steps, but eventually you got to cash in the chips, and they and they did. They got They got their their stud that can make them a title caliber team. And it worked. Yeah. There, there are two ways to get that stud, right? It's the one, take a risk on the guy with one year, like the Kawhi move or it's the Chris Pullman guy who's a little, maybe too old. You might have to end up. But that was also a one year risk too. Yeah. Yeah. He opted out. 
No, true. It wasn't one year risk, but like you would have, you knew you had the, you were pretty much going to pay him or had the bill right. to pay him. Right. So yeah. it was, it was more a one year risk of like, is he going to be good enough to play the full season? And actually the answer became no, he really started to fade for the last four finals games, but he made it almost all the way there. And if they had played better in that third quarter of that third game, they might, they might've been NBA champions. Without yeah. That, playing right. Great. And, you know, we talked about Chris Paltrick on this podcast last summer multiple times because yeah, he's that good. He's that Miles guy that Oladipo would have done it theoretically. It would have cash match right there. I bet the Thunder would have done that last summer, too. Well, given where they were. But I digress. Well, uh, Chris Paul was also ourselves on the back, but it is talking about how these moves are available to a team like the Pacers in theory, not in practice all the time. So from a Bucks perspective, you'd say the Pacers could. You know, be a lot riskier. You know, the Bucks got away with it. A lot of teams haven't. Uh, and then once you nail the risky stuff, build smartly. You know, the, the stuff that Pritchard is good at is the stuff the Bucks did well after they got the stars. And then the Sun strategy was stuff the Pacers haven't been as good at, which is drafting. But they drafted so high that it made it kind of easy that over time they'd eventually get the good teams. But let's finish up this discussion because I have one more point to make. Yeah, I think there's I have more point to make too. I think there's one thing you're kind of missing, but I think we should take a break for it before before we get to that. Today's locked on Pacers podcast is brought to you by Rock Auto. The ever increasing numbers of makes and models is now impossible for local chain auto parts store to suck all the parts you need. Winder often pointless and seeming intimidating questioning and wait person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer using the only brand the warehouse happens to carry. You have a computer with access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket. You can save time and money with Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? For example, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 from a chain store, but only $216 at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving dear selfers for over 20 years. They always reliably low. You can check out all their parts on their amazing catalog. And right now, you can see all the parts they sell at rockauto.com. And when you go there, write locked on in the how to hear us box so they know that we sent you. Main selection, live below prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And we are also brought to you by betonline.ag, who's back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams head into another football season. And betonline.ag is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site interface and even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline.ig continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device app today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit for just signing up. And don't use promo code NFL100. Promo code for that bonus is locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. From football to basketball to boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't want to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline.ag, the fastest way to bet on all your sports action and your online sports book experts. So I know you have a point to make, but I, I want to do this first. I think one of the big things we're missing that the both the Bucks and the Suns were able to do was be in a position where they maybe weren't the, the odds-on favorite to get out of the conference going into the playoffs of the year, but be in a position to take advantage of an injury, whether that was to James Harden or Kyrie Irving or Kawhi Leonard to just be in this bright spot at the right time that when the injury does happen, take advantage and then take off. They were healthy. They were healthy. You know, that well, they were. Yeah. But I mean, I think like a lot of times in the NBA and we've seen it, I mean, the Raptor championship comes this way. The first Warriors probably does. 
uh, is maybe you aren't the favorite that year, but if just a couple injuries break your way, all of a sudden you can be sitting as champion. And in five years, nobody thinks about how you got, you know, people are not really going to, I mean, I people barely even remember the, the Kevin Durant injury right now in that playoff season that completely flipped that playoff series. I mean, if he comes back in that game five and stays healthy, the Warriors probably win their fourth title in five years, but you know, now everybody thinks of the Raptors as an NBA champion. Well, they deserve do it. they win their fourth title in five years if Kevin Love and Kyrie aren't hurt in 2015? Exactly. No, exactly. You, you, <laughs> I mean, you can keep going down the list of like, I mean, right. I think there were, I guess most of the LeBron years, they broke the right ways it felt like. But you go back to some of those uh, Lakers years, it's like Kendrick Perkins gets hurt at an inopportune time. <laughs> Kendrick uh, Perkins. Yep. Going way back. I don't right? think that, I don't think he, he deserves the merit here. To but don't the Lakers, well, don't the change the history if, of the NBA? I, I believe Celtics fans would say if Perkins didn't get hurt just in 10 in game six, they might win that series against the Lakers. But, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm just, we're not, now we're going really far back. I mean, you keep going, <laughs> you know, throughout years. I mean, the brawl throws things off too. And yeah, all kinds of stuff. I suppose his broadcasting career does diminish the impact he had on Boston in the, in the late 2010 oh God, or the late his broadcast career is garbage. Uh, is garbage. Anyways. Yeah, that, that's a big one. And, and those teams were healthy in the moment. They could take advantage of it, too, which is kind of what I was trying to say. But you're right. They had to be in the position to, when the beneficial thing happens to them, take advantage of it. Like, yeah. They did it. They did yeah, it. a really good example is actually is the Pacers in 2011-12. I think I have the year right. Uh, Chris Bosh, like, throws out his back in maybe game one of that series against the Heat and the Pacers. This is before Paul George takes off with They're still a really good Danny Granger. And they're like, they go up 2-1 on the Heat. They're like pretty close in that game four where if they are up at halftime, they can win the series. Like they were in a spot at that point. That team was definitely not the favorite, but they were in the right spot where, you know, Chris Bosh has been hurt just a little bit longer or LeBron didn't reach that next level. They could have won that series against the Heat and maybe have gotten all the way to the finals in 2011-12. Now, not so they would have won, but they would have been in the right spot at the right time. So it, it, it you know, that's where you have to be in, in that kind of level. You got me down a rabbit hole where I learned that Kendrick Perkins averaged 12 and 12 for the Celtics. He was really good for that 10 Celtics team. Like really yes, good. he was. Um, but yeah, I agree with all that. Um, for me, the biggest, the title of the show being, can the Pacers learn anything from the Bucks and Suns finals runs? Yes, they can learn something, but they also can't because one, it takes a ton of unique and, and lucky circumstances to get to the finals, as you just said. But two, I mean, we can talk about the nitty gritty of like how they got Cam Johnson and Pat Connaughton and and PJ Tucker and all these important pieces that help you win a title. But like they had two stars. Both of these teams had two stars, right? Devin Booker and Chris Paul on one side, Chris Middleton and Giannis on the other, right? They had to go through teams that had two stars. You know, the Jazz. Respect Drew Holiday there, man. Well, yes, of course, there are other studs on those teams. But, you know, they had to go through teams with two stars and like, we can beat around the bush all you want, but just that that's how it is. And I know we it's this isn't new information. If you're listening to this or if you're a fan of the NBA for the or the Pacers, like you know that stars are required to be a damn good team, and two of them are now required to be a title level team. And most of the stud teams, Sands Nets, have two, and that's why there was a lot of parody last year. No one knew who would win. And if the Nets are healthy, everybody assumes they're gonna win because they have three, but like acquiring those stars is the way to go. So if you're the Pacers and you look at these teams, you know, beyond growing organically the team you have and trying to finally see what you have in the roster you built, that's a different discussion. But the other questions are, one, do they have a guy capable of being that level of star? 
or or even the second is like I think Sabonis could be the second. Just drifting to Sabonis because he's the two time All Star, you know. Even though well, he's he's young, he's been improving every yeah. single year. You, like, you could you can finagle over if he's the actual best pacer, but you know the, his resume is the best of any. He's probably pacer only untouchable team. pacer, really, in my opinion, right now. Is he you know is he good enough to be the second star on a title team? And if you think he is then maybe you're in a position where the Pacers should be a little more aggressive in chasing the available star or something like that. Or if they don't think he is, can they, can they use him to get one or can they use their other pieces to get one to see if he is like Ben, if Ben Simmons is available. I know his fit with Sabonis isn't awesome, but like, could that be the guy that is your second star? I don't think he, anyone thinks he could be the number one on a title team, but like as much as you can say, okay, this strategy exists that the Suns took and this other strategy exists that the Bucks took and, like, you got to be a little risky, get a little lucky, you also have to get the star. Like, somehow you got to do it. And at some point, that's where the rubber beats the road for the Pacers. Like, they're two best teams ever. One that only didn't make the finals because they ran into the Heatles. And the other one that did make the finals had Reggie, who was amazing, uh, and a bunch of other good players, of course. Well, by 04, it was Jermaine. Yes. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's. Maybe. Have been I'm fine. sorry. I'm thinking. And Ron. Honestly, Jermaine and Ron were the two. Yeah. That. But you're right. The, the 2000 team was Reggie and Smith's Probably the one that actually made the finals was Reggie. No, you're Smith, right. You're correct. right. Yeah. And then PG and you know that that team. You know, Hibbert was an All Star around that time. West, as well, West was really good. West was really good. Right. Lance was a friend. Lance was actually time, close but, to being All Star. But well. they had they had the one. They had the one. Like this well, is your number were, one star. You need the number two. They were and, deep. you know, at times it was Roy, at times it was West. We just went over that. That team but, was that team was like nine players deep, which is pretty rare. Right. The the Pacers in 2000, they had a lot of good players, but they didn't really have the, the two star, right? We saw what Co- young Kobe did to that team when we reviewed well, that and, series. And they were almost spot. in a spot to take advantage as well, right? Kobe turns ankle if he misses a couple of games, they might win that series. I mean, that's right? that's because they the the East, the East was really well after the week. The East was really weak into in two thousand, right? <laughs> Rose like, Jalen was close. Like he was really good that playoff. But yeah, but I at the, the level you need there. But remember, MJ had retired two years to retire from then. Uh, the Knicks were the best, second best team in the East. And the year before, they had been the eight seed and made the final. So, like, that was a weak East where the Pacers were in a spot where they were the best of the of a, of a weak conference. And they were just in a spot where if they got to the final and things broke their way, they could have won. I mean, going to Shaq Kobe is almost impossible, but maybe, you know, like I said, if Shaq got hurt or Kobe got hurt, they could have been a chance in a spot to, to win a championship. Right. So, so the questions the Pacers have to answer if they're, if say they're really good this year and they're ready to make the jump into contending next year. The questions they would have to answer to me, and this is because the question of can they learn anything from the Bucks and finals runs? Sure. But the big takeaway should always be, how do we get the stars to do that? You know, the, the process of getting the other stuff they might've already done. They have the, you know, the, the Suns did it in the inverse order where they got the stuff and then the star and the Bucks did in the episode or whatever. So maybe you're looking at the Suns order of stuff, then star. How can they get, is Sabonis good enough to be the second one is a question they would have to answer. And if he's not, how can they use him and their other pieces to get those two guys? Maybe one's Duarte, maybe not, right? I am I, skeptical, but he's never played a game. I don't want to put any limits on anything he could do, right? How can they get those guys? That's the biggest takeaway, right? How can how can they do that? What When are they going to be in the right position to do that? And what's it going to take? That is the biggest takeaway from the finals is what is what is the situation where you should finally do this, where you can finally get the guy? Yeah, and I, I think the Suns' path is extremely replicable for the Pacers in some ways. But the problem it's going to take is they're going to have to get find the right team that has the superstar that also doesn't want to trade him and immediately rebuild, but also also needs a center. If those like things line up perfectly, 
they could probably get to the get to the get to the Suns level, right? I mean, obviously the Suns was the Chris Paul trade, and that team is still rebuilding. But that it's just something like that because what they have is basically, if you consider it's a bonus the two, they have an eighteen million dollars salary and a player that they can easily get rid of and replace because they just it's honestly just like that four spot is being kind of wasted or just very like average or they can prove it immediately. And then they have, you know, between Warren Brogdon and Levert, three players who are good, but all are tradable if needed for a better player, right? Like if you're going to get a point guard, Brogdon can be out the door tomorrow. Like great player, better than the point guard they could, they could have at the current moment. But if Damian Lillard, let's say, or, you know, something like that on that level, he's out tomorrow and you don't even think, think, think about it. So that's there. They, they have a chance maybe to replicate the Suns, but it's going to take a, a really good scenario to come through. Yes, yes, it always takes that 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 good scenario coming through where you can get one of the two stars for extremely cheap. In the case of uh, the yeah, Bucks, I mean, it was Chris, Chris Middleton, and in the case of the Suns, it was really both. They drafted Booker; that's extremely cheap, and they didn't trade much for Paul. Yeah, I mean, or it's maybe it's not cheap, but you have to like seize the moment and see it, that like, hey, if we make this move for this guy, we can give four first round picks, but. It's sure. going to put us on a level that's nowhere else. And the, the biggest problem the patient might have. And that's why determining if Sabonis can be a guy is important because if you give up four picks yeah. and he's not, you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, and if he's really good, it, it, you're probably looking, you need, you need a guard. You probably, that's what you're looking at. Right. right. That's why Simmons is, is in that weird spot where like, he's kind of a point guard, but he's kind of not. So like, do you really want to make the risk for that kind of fit? That maybe not a fit versus like, if you could just hold out for like a point guard or a shooting guard, like a pure one, that would probably be a better fit in the long run. Yeah, that's possible. So I don't know. This was, I thought it was a good exercise, Tony. It kind of made me think about how how lucky both those the Suns and the the Bucks were, and probably every NBA Finals team is lucky, except like the Lakers usually. But uh, it takes a lot of luck to win to win a championship or even, or even get to the finals in the first place. Both of them made a lot of risky moves. Like we went through that the Middleton, like that was pretty lucky if we're being honest. That he, yeah, I mean Middleton again, I don't. Honest. Lucky sounds way different than I intend for it to be. No, it, it, smart and strategic, but it could have easily worked out. Same with the honest pick. Yeah, but and how many the, Chris Milton type trades are there a year and they don't turn to anything, right? Yeah, like, nothing, right. Yeah. Like a and in the Suns case, like, there are a lot of takes from last year. And, you know, Chris Paul was is an underrated player in general. But, like, people being like, they just, you know, people were thinking, like, Chris Paul was a lock to opt into that $45 million he was owed this year. And they just traded for an overrated player who can't help them emerge. And they were under five, even if they won all those bubble games, they were under 500 last year. Like them going all in was a bad time. And what are they doing? And then it worked out, right? A lot has to go your way. And, and these teams did it. They, they, they yeah. struck at the right time a lot. And that, that is hard for any team to replicate. Well, and, and the, the crazy thing is these teams could have been even better than they were, right? If, if the bucks take jo- or uh, Joel and, and being 14 instead of Jabari, I think Giannis could work together. That would have been great, right? That's an all, even better team. And the Suns should could easily take Luke and everyone instead of DeAndre Aiden. There's just as you know what I mean. Now maybe yeah. it would have been a spot for Chris Paul, but like those teams theoretically could have just even been even luckier in the draft than they were to to begin with. You can strike at the wrong time very easily, and not end up like these teams, right? Like the Jimmy Butler trade to Philly could end up being a strike at the wrong time kind and of it, if, I think was it's really just a bounce away from probably being the right strike. Yeah, it, it is. It's certainly possible, or even. The, the Celtics getting Kemba, right? Young in Tatum's career. And that one, look, injuries totally derailed that. Hey, that everyone hey, thought that was kind of yeah, the right hey, move, but it could. Hayward hey, hey, might be the worst one. What's up? What? And, and, and the, for the Celtics, the Hayward trade might be actually the worst. Another trade. Well, um, yeah, that's not really a timing thing. That's just an asset management failure. But yeah. Well, no, no, no. I mean, him getting hurt was just like terrible luck. Right, right, right. That's what I mean. 
yeah, you know, the, the timing of the big move is really important. And both of those teams nailed it too. So in that regard, you, you can't question the Pacers yet because they haven't made any sort of big move to go in on this score. But if they don't, you know, they're, they're unserious about a title with the current group. They well, have. That, that's like the Pelicans constant trap, right? Is that like the Pelicans went way too early in on Anthony Davis and like didn't get the right asset. So way been, too early. They've been, they've been much more diligent this time. How but much then, did they give Omar Ashik like the most insane contract ever? Or for 75 for seven or six yeah. or something stupid at like a time when the cap was like not huge. Yeah, cap was like 80 million, maybe seven million dollars, maybe. Um, yeah, it was it was an insane contract. Five years, 60 million in 2015. Cap was what 58 like 68 million or something. Okay, yeah. something it's something extremely low. Unreal. Um, that was a disaster. But like that's what I mean. The, the Pugs are in the same really running. It's like Groundhog Day again, right? Zion like wants to be good now, but they also don't want to like overdo it now because and Griffin knows that because that's why was a LeBron issue the first time around with LeBron, right? Is that the Cavs went all in way too early on LeBron and they didn't get the right assets and they were kind of screwed by his intent that you know not having the space to get get anybody else. So yeah. yeah. It's 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 a it's a balance and a, I mean it's a luck. I mean you can beat you're you're in, you you have to basically make your own luck, but all a lot of it is just luck. It's just there is a lot the of right luck. coach, the right player, at the right time. I agree with all that, and I hope this was a useful exercise for a listener because that's it. We're done looking back at last season. Pacers players are back and kind of in camp, kind of not. Not all of them are quite back yet. Uh, so next week we're looking ahead, starting to look ahead to next season with a couple overarching topics heading into this season, as well as, as Scott Agnes reported today, the Pacers applied for a disabled player exception for Sumner. We talked about it last week, but we'll get into more specifics with that. We'll get into league predictions and then we'll get Pacers specific. Let's preview this upcoming season. It's about to be that time. Yeah. Uh, and if you want some more Austin content, we've had plenty of it. Uh, we did a mailbag, uh, kind of mixed pieces over the last week as we, broke uh it's emerging pockets to break some of the summer injury and warning injury news you can check out those on our locked on pacers feed wherever you're getting this podcast currently as always you can follow us on twitter at locked on pacers follow me at three madden five tony at t's nba that is all for this locked on pacers podcast we will see you guys again on monday